I'm going to kick off this sermon with a passage that I read on Friday that God was speaking to me. I needed this on Friday, but I read it again this morning as I was preparing for today, and I just want to share it with you. This is Isaiah 61, and it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. You guys, six of those seven bullets that were just outlined in there are encouraging and good and they speak of God's comfort and his care, and how he sets captives free, and how he releases people from bondage. But at the end, we cannot ignore that he says, with those things will also come the day of God's anger against his enemies, against the enemies of the church. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So buckle up. Where we left off last weekend, we got the Apostle John. He's a prisoner on the island of Patmos. He's been banished from everybody and everything he knows. He's living on this island. He's living in a cave. He is an intimate with suffering in this situation, and yet he's still worshiping God despite all of the bad stuff going on in his life. And as he's worshiping God, so alone, feeling forgotten, God blesses him with this vision of Jesus Christ himself coming and speaking to him. And that's where we get the book of Revelation. We left off in Revelation 1, 19-20 with, Write down what you have seen, John, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus shows up to John, and he asks him to write seven letters to seven churches back on the mainland. In the first letter to the church of Ephesus, John led that church. That was John's church. Paul started it. John was the number two. Now somebody else is in charge, but that's his church back there. And it's Interesting that as I looked at all of these seven letters, and we'll be hitting not all but many of them over the next several weeks, there was a particular anatomy to these letters that were written to the churches that's identical to every letter. So in each letter that we study, you'll see these four things. Every letter is addressed to the angel of the church. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus, we're about to read. Now the angel means messenger. And a pastor or a minister is a messenger. So he's not talking to an angel. He's talking to the messenger, the pastor, the leader of the church. So it's kind of like if I got a letter from God and said, Justin, the pastor of Wood's Edge, this letter's for you. So he's writing to the angel of the church of Ephesus, but he's really writing to the leader, the minister, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So every letter starts with, to the angel of whatever. And every letter opens with a special introduction of Jesus. In the letter to the Ephesians, it says, from the one who holds the seven stars, yada, yada, yada. But in every other letter, it's something different. In every other letter, it's a unique identifier of something 
that Jesus represents, a characteristic of God. And I believe there's something specific that we can learn by looking at how does he identify himself when he writes to the Ephesians? How does he identify himself when he writes to the Laodiceans? Well, we'll figure those things out as we go. But every letter opens with, to the angel of the church, and then with a specific introduction. And every letter addresses specifically the behavior of the church in question. So if God wrote a letter to me about us, he would be writing it to address the behavior of how are we doing? Um, He leads off this statement every time with, I know all the things that you do. And then he closes every letter with a call to consideration. And the language is the same in every letter. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So we're going to read that first letter to the Ephesians, and we must listen, because you all got some ears. I see them with my eyes. And we must try to understand what he's saying to us this morning. Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7 says this, write this letter to the angel or pastor of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You do not love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to your church I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. And to everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God." Let's discuss what Jesus just said to the Ephesians. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Throw it up there for me, Daniel. So this is a letter to the pastor and, by default, the members of the church of Ephesus. If it was to me, it would also be to you. You are part of the student ministry, you're part of Wood's Edge. So this is to me to share with you. And he's saying, I hold you in my hand. I know every single one of you. I walk among you. What is he saying? He's saying, I love you. I love spending time with you. When you come to small groups and you just feel a little differently here, you feel a little freer, you feel a little safer, you feel a little more convicted, whether at church on Sunday or in your group on Wednesday, it's because Jesus is here in this place and he's walking among us and he's encouraging us and he's loving us. That's what this introduction means. I hold you in my hand. 
I love you. I'm with you. So many of you feel like, where's God? He is here. And he is looking at you and he's saying, you are my much loved sons and daughters. Now, sons and daughters, I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered that they are liars, and you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. What is he saying now? He's saying, I know you, and I know your people work hard for me. I know that you don't turn a blind eye when fake Christians are around. I know that you have suffered for the gospel without quitting. What is he saying to the people at Ephesus? I know things are hard, but I'm proud of you. You're doing good. Keep it up. I'm with you. I don't care what's going on in your life today that's difficult. I've got you. I'm proud of you. You can do this. Ask for help. But after he praises them, he says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. He's saying to the church, and he could easily come and say it to us this morning, I, I, have, I love you, but I, I have a complaint with you, and you're my kids, so I can share disappointment with you. Um, you're not loving me well. You're not loving each other well um, because you've settled for less, and I know you can do better. I know you can do it. It's not, you're not loving me well, and so I'm leaving, and I will never talk to you again. It's, you're not loving me well, so let's work on it. Let's figure it out. Let's chew on it together. Let's work on loving Jesus and each other better. He's giving us a chance. He's warning us because there's still time. And he's imploring us, turn back to me. Whatever you've been doing that you know is not of me, just turn your back on it and come back to me. Turn back to me and do the works you did it first. Do the things you did when you first became a believer and were so in love with me and so on fire for me that you were like, I'm telling everybody. Do those things. And if you don't repent, if you don't change the way that you think, I will eventually come. I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But you do have this in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. God is imploring the Ephesians, and by default, he is be implore, he's begging you and I to change the way that we think today about what it really means to love Jesus and what it really means to love each other. He's basically saying, look, I know you love me, but you're not loving me. I, I know you love each other. Oh, yeah, I love them, but you're not like loving each other. You're saying it, but where, where's the fruit? Where's the evidence? Um, Jeff Wells wrote this about this letter just the other day. The Ephesian church was full of people who worked hard for God, but they had left their first love. They were workers, but not worshipers. They had religious duty, but they did not have a love affair 
with Jesus. They didn't have a relationship with him. They just did what they thought they were supposed to do, and they did it really well, but they didn't like love God with their heart. Let me ask you guys a question. This is between you and God. Are you coming to church because you want to be here? You want to work on these things? Or are you at church because you're supposed to be here? Because there's an expectation that you come here. God says, look, I know you hate what's evil. I know you know my word. I know you hate these things because they're bad. They hurt people. It's no good. But you need to love what's good too. You can't just hate what's evil. You got to love what's good too. Essentially, here's what I think God is saying to the church in Ephesus. And again, he could easily be saying to us today, you've only given me half your heart. You've only given me half of all of yourself. Now, if we don't give Jesus our whole heart, he says right there that he will eventually remove the lampstand from among us. He'll remove the ch- our church from among the other churches. What does that mean? It's pretty practical. He's basically saying, look, if you don't give me your whole heart, um, the blessings that I've been blessing you with, I'll give them to somebody else. I'll bless somebody else with great worship and strong teaching and terrific fellowship and generosity out the wazoo, like, I'll take those blessings that I've been blessing Woods Edge with, and I'll, I'll just give them to another church. Um, if we don't give Jesus our whole heart, those, you guys, I've been in student ministry for a decade. I've never seen the caliber of small group leaders and the student staff. I've never had people that love God and love every one of you so much. And God is saying, if you don't give me your whole heart, I'll take these amazing leaders, and they'll just go and serve at another church. I'll take your pastor, and he can go serve at another church. One of the most prolific and God-fearing pastors of our day, a man named Francis Chan, preached through the book of Revelation for like three or four years to his church. And at the end of it, he's like, these people, I know they love Jesus, but they're not loving Jesus. And he quit. He gave up. He said, I'm just going to, God is calling me to go do something else. The lampstand was like, I don't know, was it removed? Maybe, maybe. Essentially, what God is saying is, when I give you something, and he's given all of us something, and you don't appreciate it, then I'll give it to somebody else. If I give my son a beautiful, expensive gift, and he just wants to destroy it or use it to hurt people, I'm going to remove it from him, and I'm going to give it to somebody that appreciates it and will benefit from it. God doesn't want to bless us if we just take the blessing and use it to hurt each other or hurt us. Now, we're going to shift gears. I want to ask, did you guys notice that he praises the Ephesians twice in this sermon for the same thing? He praises them twice for the same thing. He said early, I know you don't tolerate, put up with evil people in your midst, the wolves among the sheep. I know you don't put up with that. And then later on, he says, I also know you hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. Who were the Nicolaitans? Why, why would God mention them? after he already basically addressed evil people in the midst. The Nicolaitans, according to my boy Matthew Henry, were a loose sect, or like little club, who called themselves Christians, but were not. They held hateful doctrines, and they were guilty of hateful deeds, and they had no real love for Jesus. And they spent all of their time at church attacking other Christians. And Jesus herein praises the church of Ephesus twice that they had a just 
zeal and disgust for those wicked, hateful doctrines and practices. The Ephesians refused to tolerate the Nicolaitans' indifference of right and wrong and good and evil. The Ephesian church was like, look, this is what God's word says, so this is what we're going to do. And you can't do this too, because that's clearly the opposite of that. You can't say one thing in God's law and yet do another. And the Ephesian church said, we will do what God has said. And Jesus twice said, good for you. You have called a sin a sin. And you look at our nation today and you look at our culture and we are looking all over and pointing at sins and saying, oh, that's great, that's good. You have every right to do that. That's good for you. The Nicolaitans were a sect of people that said they were Christians but were not. So I think about that, and I read a lot about that. They did the same things that we do. Every Sunday, the Nicolaitans were at church. The Nicolaitans were in small groups. The Nicolaitans were on the serving team. They were waving at you as you walked in. The Nicolaitans went on mission trips, but they also they, they looked down on people. The Nicolaitans gossiped about people. They spread rumors about people. They betrayed confidences. They defied true church authority. They spent so much time stirring up trouble in the church. I mean, in modern-day terms, I just think of this clique of mean, fake Christians that just kind of stand over here and just make everybody else feel stupid and bad about loving Jesus. And it makes me think of a passage in Matthew chapter 7 that I read this, and I'm not reading this at you guys. I'm reading this like to myself. This is convicting for me. Not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. And I, the Lord, will reply to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That's a, that's a tough passage to read. But there's a lesson here, and we should seek to hear it and understand it. What laws did these people break when they showed up at the gates of heaven and they're like, yeah, we went to church all the time. And God's like, I don't know you. Well, I think it's pretty simple. It's right there in John 13. Same guy who wrote Revelation wrote this. He was there when Jesus said it. I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We're supposed to love each other, you guys, so well that it makes everybody around us stop and say, what's different about you? How can you love them? How can you forgive them? How can you refuse to gossip about them? How can you go out of your way to honor the lowly amongst you? Like, why do you love people so incredibly well? And that's our opportunity to say, Jesus, we should love each other so well that it draws people to God. Are we doing that? Am I doing that? Do people stop you and say, I can't believe you forgave that person. I can't believe 
you gave all of your lunch money and went without food for that person. Like, is that the kind of love that you have for people around you? If these fake Christians, if they're at the gate and they're saying, God, we knew you, we went to church, we are in a small group, we served, we did all these things, and God's like, nope, sorry. If they don't go to heaven, if they didn't give God all of their heart, well, where do they go? Psalm 9, the wicked, those who reject God, will go down. This is the fate of all those who ignore God. That's a tough one for me. I feel like God speaks to me sometimes, and I'm just like, yeah, I'll do that later. I'm ignoring God. That's convicting for me. That should be convicting for you. And he's not saying he hates you for it. He's saying, I love you. Be mindful. Are you ignoring anything that that I've said? Those who ignore God, it's right there in black and white, go to hell. Those who stiff-arm God out of their lives end up in hell. 2 Thessalonians 1, Jesus is coming. We've read this countless times over the last several weeks. Jesus is coming with his mighty angels and flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news. And they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. What does that tell us? It tells us if you end up in hell, there's no way out. It's like there's no second chances. You don't just get to like re-up and have a new life. Like we have one chance to love Jesus and love each other. And if we don't, if we fail, if we, and you know if you are, if we just stiff arm God, we end up in hell and there's no back door. Matthew 13, what does this tell us about that place? This is the way it will be at the end of the world. And Revelation is all about the end of the world. The angels will come They will separate the wicked people from the righteous, and they will throw the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand these things that I'm telling you? Hell, from this passage, is beyond painful. It's beyond pain. Who loves going to the dentist? Nobody. No, you're lying. No, nobody loves going. You guys need help. You guys, I hate the dentist. Because they get in there and they start poking around in your teeth and things crack and break and bleed and it's painful and there's like nothing. Weeping and gnashing of teeth like this horrible, icky pain and it just doesn't go away. It's constant. Hell, beyond painful. I've gnashed my teeth at night when I sleep. I used to anyway when I was super stressed out and I would gnash them so hard that um, I was scared if I like put my finger in there, I'd just bite it off. I'd gnash my teeth so hard that I felt like my teeth would break. Like, it's not pleasant. It's the opposite. Hell, beyond painful. Revelation 21. We'll get there soon enough, but it says, cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice practice witchcraft, idol worship, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. I thought a lot about this this morning. But on earth, these people that end up in this place, they loved without really loving. And so it's kind of poetic justice that in hell they'll they'll burn without really burning. Like you don't get thrown in a lake of fire and then you're gone. It's eternal. You never fully, you, you feel the burning and it never stops. You think, 
A hundred years on earth is a long time? Try eternity. Why is God telling us all these things about this horrible, scary place? Because he's like, I don't want you to go there. He originally created hell just for Satan and the angels that rebelled. That's why it exists. That's why it's so awful. That's the level of their crime. And yet, if we do the same thing the angels did and say, no, God, we're going to do things our own way, he is warning us with the love of the Father, please don't walk out into that traffic. You're going to get killed. Please love with all your heart because I created that place for the angels. But if you reject me, you're going to end up there too. Revelation 14, those who reject God must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into the cup of God's wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. You guys, it's forever. Hell is waiting for every one of us who break God's law, but that's a big statement, so what does that mean? What is God's law? Is it that list of 640 things he gave to the Old Testament prophets? Or is it this? Matthew 22, 36 through 40, teacher, Jesus, which is the most important commandment in all the law? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And a second is equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the commands and demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Love God, love people. It's that easy. It's too easy. God is saying, you want to come and be with me in heaven for eternity? Just love me and love people. And we settle for gossip and ugly things. And we hurt ourselves, not just in this life, but the next. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 16. I'm going to read this, this exhortation, this loving word from our Father to us this morning. And I want you, as you listen, to just, how am I doing with that one? How am I doing with that one? And if you're not doing so well, don't be discouraged. You can change today. Don't just pretend to love others. That's convicting to me right, right off the bat. Justin, are you pretending to love others? Yeah, a little bit. I need to work on that. I need to work on that today. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Guys, how are you doing with that? 
You got a bully in your life? You got somebody that's mean to you? Are you looking for ways to get revenge? Are you looking for ways to block them and reject them and hurt them like they've hurt you? Well, God says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of the person that you're like, oh my God, I would never hang out with them. Man, you need to hang out with them. And don't think that you know it all. I wrestle with that one a lot too. Students, I would ask you again, just between you and the Lord, but knowing that like heaven and hell are on the line, are we loving each other like that? I think we have room for improvement, a lot of it. And thank God we, we can improve. Like we can work on it today. We can ask God today, help me with which, whatever those stuck to you. And he will help you today with whichever of those stuck out to you. Another thing that Jeff Wells said about this passage just the other day is, if you're building a church, above all else, a church must be a place where the people long for Jesus. Church must be a place where the people pursue Jesus. This church needs to be a place where people are falling in love with Jesus. Again, just between you and the Lord, let me ask you a question. Why are you here? Like today. Why do you come here at all? And be honest with yourself. There's no wrong answer. Are you here for the free pancakes? Are you here because your parents make you come? Are you here just to see your friends? Because that's not why church exists. Church exists as a place for us to learn how to fall more in love with Jesus. This is our testing ground to learn how to love each other, how to encourage each other, how to serve each other, how to challenge each other. This is the best and safest place when you have a problem with somebody to say, let's work this out biblically the right way. This is not the place when you get upset with somebody that you tattle or put up walls and say, I'm just not going to hang out on the side of the room anymore. That's not how love works. This is the thing that I'm going to struggle saying to you, but I feel like as your pastor and based on the truth of Revelation, I have to say this to you, and I'm saying it with absolute love and conviction and fear of the Lord. But if you are not at this church or whichever church you call home if you're visiting, to love Jesus as your main priority, you probably shouldn't be here. Because this is serious business that we're talking about every week. And eternities are at stake, like heaven and hell are at stake when you are here, and especially when you go out from here. And if you don't care about that yet, if you hear that and you're like, whatever, man, that's totally okay. Like, I love you. I, don't, I was like you. I was like that for years. I came to this church every week. And at day, during the sunlight hours, I was like, hi, I'm Justin. I go to church. I read my Bible. And at night, I was somebody completely different. It took a while for me to give Jesus my whole heart. And thank God he's so patient. But if you're not ready to be completely committed to pursuing Jesus, to at least try to change the way that you think about him and the way he sees you, you are welcome all day, every day, to go and see what the world has to offer. And I have been there, and it does not have much. And when you realize that, you will always be welcome back.
We're going to start wrapping up. I want to show you guys a couple, a pic, one picture. I had many, but I'm just going to do one, which is hard for me because I'm a photographer. I've actually been to Ephesus twice. Here's a shot of my wife at Ephesus in 2006. Look at that beautiful brook bear with her cool, weird little shirt. She made it cool before the people wearing them now did. That's Ephesus as it sits today. That's the great Colosseum where Paul, in the Bible, like he was wrestling his disciples saying, let me go back in there to that angry mob that wants to kill me because I'm so desperate to tell them there is a God, he loves you, and if you don't accept his love, if you don't give him your heart, you're going to hell. He was given the same message and he wanted to go into that giant place, like that's all steps, and it was packed full of people that wanted to kill him, and he's like, I don't care. I have to tell them that God loves them. And that if they don't give God their heart, they go to hell. I got to tell them. I love them too much not to tell them. And God said in Revelation, and we just read it, that if you don't give me your heart, I will remove my blessings. Let me tell you something. That city, leave it up for me, Daniel. The blessing is gone. Ain't no church in there. Ain't no lampstand in there. Ain't no pastors there. It's abandoned. It's ruined. The blessing has moved on. God keeps his promises, you guys. Now, there's something really interesting about Ephesus, and I put that picture up there just for a reason and not just to say, look at me, I went to Ephesus, I'm super cool. It's this. Look at all of that. There's a lot. There's that. There's the Temple of Artemis over here. There's the Library of Celsus over here, one of the most famous geographic locations on earth. There's so much history there in those old stones. Um, but 75%, even though you see a bunch in that picture, 75% of the city of Ephesus is under our feet. It's still buried. It's covered with just a few feet of dirt. Right under Brooks' feet is more city. There's bathhouses under there. There's homes under there. There's businesses under there from 2,000 years ago. There's all kinds of stuff all over the hillside, that patch of brown in the corner where it's just grass. Right under that is more of that. But Ephesus is located in Turkey, and Turkey is a nation of Muslims, and Muslims worship Allah and Islam, and they don't want to do anything that's going to promote Christianity, add validity to Christianity, so they don't dig it up. They leave it buried, and I get it. But when I was exploring with Brooke, and the security here was lax, which I love, we traveled all through here and just in a matter of minutes went off the beaten path and the next thing you know we're like in tombs underground there's no other tourists and for like two hours we just hung out down there we had quiet time down there we prayed together down there and it was just like vast we didn't see it all it just went on and on and I'm just like I don't know when the last time a human was in here it was incredible and I'm finding old pieces of marble from the steps way back in the day I found shards of pottery just laying on the ground and it's just under, right under all of that, right under your feet. And I say that to help us understand what this letter is saying. There's so much more to Ephesus than meets the eye, and there is so much more to God's love than meets the eye. Oh, you're just telling me I have to love God a little more and love people a little more? That's too easy. It's right. It's too easy. It's like walking on the ground and picking up a relic from 2,000 years ago, and you just, you just had to look for it. You just had to take a minute and stop and say, I want a souvenir. 
I want to take something with me. Dwight, you guys can head on up here and hit the stage. That's my sermon. That's the challenge of Jesus Christ to his church at Ephesus, and I firmly believe it's his challenge to us at Wood's Edge today. I want you guys to reach under your seats and pull out your pen and paper as we wrap up our sermon. If there are those of you in this room that want to rediscover love today, want to rediscover that first love that he talked about, want to rediscover how to love, Jesus told us exactly how to do it right there in the letter. I already read it to you. If you're like, I don't even know where to begin, Jesus tells you exactly where to begin. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me. Do the works you did at first. Three simple things that you can do now, you can do this afternoon, you can do every single day. Step one, if you want to rediscover love, if you want to fall in love with Jesus for the first time or again, is just remember. Look how far you've fallen. Think back and just remember how it felt when you first gave your life to Jesus. Think back to that first time that he set you free from something, that first time he answered a prayer. Just think about that and like hang on to it. Cling to it. Just recall what your thoughts were like when you first gave your life to Jesus. Recall and reflect on the actions that you took when you first gave your life to Jesus. And you got pen and paper in your hand. If something's coming to you like, yeah, that's how I used to love Jesus all the time, but I don't. Man, write that down and just get started doing that. The simplest thing you can do right now between you and the Lord, you can write it out as a prayer, you can say it from your heart, or both. Ask God right now, will you rekindle my heart for you? He will do that for you right now if you ask. And to ask, you need to give him all of yourself. So ask. Ask like you mean it. Will you rekindle my heart for you? Step number two. You want to rekindle that love? You want to learn how to love him again? Remember the things you did at first and then repent. Our word of the year. Repent. Turn back to me, he says. Come to God this morning in brokenness, in repentance. Come to God this morning in confession, in a state of just surrender. Ask God today to change the way that you think about who he is and who he made you to be. Just ask him for help. Repent. Recognize, I've been going in the wrong direction. I'm going to go in the right direction. Let me ask some specifics on that note, but you guys, it's okay. Nobody's perfect in this room. And God never said he hated the Nicolaitans. He said he hated their deeds. God doesn't hate the sinner. He hates the sin. God doesn't hate you. And he doesn't hate me. But are there any deeds of the Nicolaitans that exist in your life? Again, this is between you and the Lord. But man, if I say something that resonates with you, would you own it? Would you pray about it? Would you do something with it? How are you doing when it comes to looking down on people around you? Do you do that? Man, own that. Admit it. 
Ask Jesus to help you stop. How are you doing when it comes to gossiping about people? Do you do that? When people gossip around you about somebody else, do you stop it or do you leave? Are you spreading any rumors about people, particularly here in this church? You've been betraying anybody's confidence, stirring up trouble? Junior high, I love you, and just because I'm about to call you out on this doesn't mean you're going to hell, but how are you doing when it comes to obeying your pastors and your small group leaders? Because I'll tell you what, from a place of absolute love and humility, I'm so tired of asking people to stay out of the woods. It's for your good that you're not out there. You need to be in here. This is where church is. If there's any areas in there that you're like, I totally wrestle with that. Right now, ask God, forgive me. Help me change the way that I think. Help me do something different. If there's any one of those things where you know you have hurt somebody in these areas, you should go and ask them forgiveness before the sun goes down today. The last step in reclaiming your love for Jesus and rekindling your heart for the Lord is repeat. Remember, repent, and then repeat. He says, turn back to me and do the works you did it first. So we've acknowledged the things we don't want to do. Let's acknowledge the things that we do want to do. When you first gave your life to Jesus, what did your prayer life look like? Man, go back to that place. When you first fell in love with Jesus, what did your worship look like? Let's go back to that place. How was your Bible reading? How was your church attendance? Not I went, but like I went and I was all in. How were you doing at sharing your faith with other people? Did you used to be bold and now you're a little not? Be bold, man. This is, this is your one shot. This might be their one shot. Nobody might ever come around and say anything to them if not for you. Share your faith. Share what God is talking to you about. And lastly, if there's anybody in this room that just knows, I have no real relationship with Jesus. Man, he loves you. He adores you. He's walking with you. He's speaking to you. Just open your heart to him today before you leave this room. You don't have to understand exactly what it means, but just right now, ask for a relationship with Jesus today. Jesus, I want a relationship with you today. I want to give you my heart today. Confess to him, I do not want to go to hell. I want to be with you. I recognize I can't save myself. Just confess to God. Lord, I believe your son came to this earth, died in my place for my sin. Jesus, come and live in my heart. Confess that. Share that with somebody today. You're saved forever. You're saved. You're good. If some of you in this room are feeling convicted that you've been loving God but not like loving God, and you want to declare that love afresh in a public way, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, baptism is probably your next step. A recommitting your heart to Jesus in a public fashion or getting baptized for the first time. If that's something you want to do, you come talk to me after service. We can do it anytime. Bathing suits or clothes, I don't care. I'm going to close. We're going to worship the last thing that this letter says, anyone with ears to hear must listen. 
to the Spirit and understand what is saying to the churches and to everyone who is victorious, not perfect, victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Jesus, that's what we were made for. That's what we were created for. That is your desire for us. That is our destiny. Help us abandon anything, everything that is leading us somewhere else. We want you. We need you. Help us remember, repent, and repeat all week, all day, all month for the rest of our lives. Thank you for warning us. May we receive your warning. Save our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys respond as you feel led.